the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian, is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. Are all professed Christians really Christians? Are certain belief systems that purport to be Christian simply heresies? And there's been heresies present, we know, since the time of the New Testament. One of the biggest heresies of our time today, and this is what we're going to talk about, is progressivism or liberalism masquerading as Christianity. With us today is Jason Jimenez, author of the brand new selling book, Hijacking Jesus. Jason is the founder and president of Stand Strong Ministries. He's a best-selling author, national speaker. He specializes in biblical worldview training. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you guys. Jason, I read your book, Hijacking Jesus, and I found it to be very interesting and very relevant to what's going on in our times. And you started the book by explaining what you mean by your title, Hijacking Jesus, and the metaphor of Jesus being hijacked. I thought that was an apt way of conveying what the, quote, liberal scholars have done in recent times to the Bible. They've literally stolen the name of Jesus, used it in a way that Jesus never intended it to be used, haven't they? So explain about your title a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, hijacking, first off, again, I... I have friends, colleagues, you know, people that I, you know, do work with, uh, you know, and, and, and behind the scenes, if you will, with that are progressive or liberal, okay, or they have woke theology. They're very cordial. Uh, a lot of them do scholarly work in the field of the historicity of Jesus or in textual criticism. And so I befriend these people, you know, through the, my career as a Christian apologist, and I enjoy my conversations. Obviously, we, 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 we have different views, right, interpretations of the Bible, um, a lot of them would profess to be progressive Christians, but when you understand, Kathleen, their view of who Jesus is, they deny him as God, they deny his virgin birth, uh, that he performed miracles, that he died on the cross for our sins. They believe he died, but they didn't believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that that, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They deny a physical, literal uh, birth or uh, resurrection, and then they, of course, clearly deny a physical, literal return of Jesus. And so when you actually see them promoting an image of Jesus that they believe is the true Jesus, and they are saying that they are the true followers of that Jesus, that is a hijacking, because it clearly undermines what we see in the life teachings of Jesus in the canonical Gospels. And what they do in hijacking Jesus is they throw out the Bible and its miracles and the claims of Jesus being God, and what they do is they insert other documents, like the the Nag Hammadi documents, these Gnostic writings that are very esoteric and they're hundreds of years removed from the canonical gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
So when you actually see their intentionality and the conspiracy to undermine the authority of Jesus, that is a true hijacking theologically. And isn't that just a a sin that God takes very, very seriously of taking the, his name and using it in ways that he never wanted to be uh, known as, or, you know, it's really a different religion altogether. When you take out all those things that you just mentioned, the very foundations of our faith. Um, I just want to talk about a personal experience. You know, w- both Brian and I came out of Mormonism and they had the Mormons did the same thing. They hijacked the name of Jesus to have to create this different image, this different Jesus that is not in line with the historical Jesus that we know from the Gospels. And so when I took a class at University of Toronto, and I also took another one at Loyola University called the Historical Jesus, and so they these they, what they did was use these liberal scholars these these uh, scholars that 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 actually got the Bible. I mean, they say that we don't know anything. They said they didn't know anything about the historical Jesus except for very minimal facts. You know, we we only know five facts about Jesus. Uh, They said that the resurrection only happens in your heart. They said that there's, you know, you can see in Jesus what you want, the the mystic or the revolutionary. And so I kind of closed my book, you know, my mind as far as, Christianity, because that's what they told me it was, and that is not what Christianity is at all. They didn't even use the four Gospels to talk about the historical Jesus, and this is a very serious matter as to whether the Bible is actually history, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, the the, the thing to your point, like Mormonism, there's other cults and religions that uh, have done this, and what people need to know is in America today— that the majority view that's held of Jesus today in America, the Western thinkers, is that Jesus existed, right? He lived a moral life, and he was more of a woke teacher or a revolutionist or a mystical figure who had this divine ability to tap into this God consciousness, right? So he was oh, an extraordinary dear. figure. He was an extraordinary figure, but he wasn't God. Right. So we, are to, we, are, we are to follow his example. That's the majority view. So we, we on this radio program and, and, and what I do in the book, as biblical Christians, we have to understand that we are the minority in, in believing and affirming and preserving the clear text of Scripture that Jesus Christ is the second person in the Trinity, that God took on physical form as a human being. So he took on a second nature known as humanity and lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross for our sins, not just sacrificially, but as a sacrifice for fulfilling the Jewish scriptures. That is the minority view. And so this, this, this liberation, conventional belief that Jesus was just a liberator and not a savior is something they've been contending for quite some time. And so in order to, to credit their false views, what do they have to do? They have to discredit the canonical gospels. They have to um, strip Jesus of his messiahship, right? and try to bring in this new identity or new portrayal of Jesus. And they pick and choose, you know, from different German scholarships, you know, and different religions. And that's what I'm trying to teach people is that, no, don't fall prey to these, because at the end of the day, as you guys know, this not only has historical implications, but it has theological and spiritual implications, because eternity um, is at hand here. And, you know, I've uh, been—one of the things I really like about your book is you go back— 
to the time of Spinoza. I think he was maybe one of the earlier figures you covered, but several centuries ago, and talk about how the the core beliefs of this so-called progressive Christianity go back centuries. And I'm going to comment one other thing. I've been reading the book of Josephus, which was written in the first century, and he elaborates more than the New Testament does on what the beliefs of the Sadducees were. We all remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees from the New Testament and Jesus' time. Well, the Sadducees, according to Josephus, who was a very contemporary historian, they didn't believe in anything supernatural either. They didn't believe in, not only didn't they believe in the physical resurrection, they did not believe in the eternal nature of the soul. They didn't believe in eternal rewards or eternal punishments. He said they dismissed all of it, all of this that he elaborates. So then that goes back, you know, obviously a couple thousand years. Um, Well, Satan's been trying to hijack the identity of Jesus since the beginning, you know, since he defeated him on the cross. Now he's been trying to uh, lessen that impact, you know, still fighting against God, you know, trying to trying to steal the identity. Wow. Jason, a question. Um, It seems to me that you say in your book, there's a lot of differences between different progressive thinkers, but isn't one of the common themes that pretty much, don't they pretty much all deny the supernatural, which is pretty basic? Yeah, I mean, at, that, that's a point to be made, um, and I appreciate you saying that because the reality is progressive Christianity, okay, this ideological movement, has certain tenets. Now, progressive Christians, they don't like beliefs. They don't like tenets. They don't like talking about doctrine, right? They think that they're above that, okay? These are postmodern people, okay? So they, they don't like to hold to absolute or objective truths because they think that's dogmatic. But when you do talk to specific individuals under the umbrella of progressive Christianity that would probably say they're progressive Christians. Yes, for the most part, they are what is referred to as anti-supernaturalists. And that's not something that progressive Christians invented. This is something, again, yes, as I go back to, you talk about the Sadducees, you go back to Gnosticism, Eubenianism, other different movements in time, there is a strip down of the Bible to discredit it because it it not only preached and, and talked about miracles, but fundamentally as a Christian theist, we believe God exists, and miracles are a special act of God. And one of the confirmations of somebody who's a spokesperson of God, one of the things they did as we look throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, they perform miracles. And Jesus himself performed many miracles as validation that he was the Messiah uh, from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. So yes, at the heart of it, progressive Christians deny, for the most part, miracles. They deny the supernatural. And the reason they do that is because if, in fact, miracles do exist, then their view of God is false, right? right. And they're trying to discredit. Right. They're trying to discredit the narrative of the Gospels. They, 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 they talk about kerygma. Kerygma is an attempt for them to reduce the, 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 the validation of what we see in the canonical Gospels, and they want to float these exotic storylines um, that they can then uh, undermine. And that's why what you guys were saying earlier is they can just pick and choose. So that's why miracles are foundational to our belief system as Christians. And it's a man-made religion. They want to do what's right in their own eyes, like people have been doing ever since the beginning, uh, you know, following the, the directions of the evil one. So, so I'm always um, interested in... They want to do uh, what they're right in their own eyes. Right. I'm always mm-hmm. interested, as you are, Jason, in evidence. If you make a claim, where's your evidence? So I think you uh, mentioned earlier that the gospel text, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are 
a lot older than some of the texts, and I don't think you mentioned the Gospel of Thomas, but you mentioned some others, that they use as source texts. Um, And then you mentioned some of the promoters of progressivism in our time, like Brian McLaren, and you mentioned Bart Ehrman. Now, I might be wrong on this. Maybe you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but doesn't even Bart Ehrman, who's no biblical Christian, um, concede that the the, uh, canonical, canonical Gospels date from the first century? Yeah, so um, so in response to that, Bart Ehrman, yes, is is an atheist, so he's not a progressive Christian. But what okay. I do in the book is what I do in the book is I expose that when you talk about progressive Christians and Peter Eanes, who used to be a conservative scholar um, and now very liberal and progressive in his views as as a historical um, scholar of Jesus, he says that progressive shouldn't be a pejorative term. Um, he says it's an enlightenment. It's like we have modernized. We we have fashioned a new movement of religion because we've learned through science, right, and the enlightenment and rationalism that we've improved in our ability to test things. So over time, we've been able to figure out what was really false about the early Christians because they were naive and stupid, right? And we're now more enlightened. But the reality is when you look at a progressive Christian, um, they are actually more secular. Again, they deny miracles because they believe it's a violation of the laws of physics, and that's when Benedict Spinoza and people like David Hume come in, and they use those kind of arguments. And what progressive Christians tend to do is they use atheistic or skeptic or agnostic arguments. So, for example, they'll pull in the textual critic himself, Bart Ehrman, uh, who teaches at Chapel Hill, and they will use how he views the Gnostic Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Thomas. Um, he does date the canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you know even John at the end of the first century. So he says they're they're valid in, in their early accounts, but of course he argues that we can't trust a whole lot of it, like the Jesus Seminar. But what's interesting is that progressive Christians use those arguments from people like an atheist, like Bart Ehrman. Isn't that interesting? To yeah, yeah. The yeah. Gospel, and they have to use the Gospel of Thomas. And this is when Professor Elaine Pagels, and they'll use other liberal-leaning, even agnostic, skeptic, atheist people to make the case for other documents that highlight aspects of Jesus. And yet, when you compare the Gospels, the canonical ones, to the, the Gnostic Gospels, they don't hold weight or water to the, the, the veracity of the canonical Gospels. And people like Barnum know that, but the progressive Christians continue to push this narrative because they have to discredit the canonical Gospels, right? Because at the heart of it, like, for example— I'm not sure you guys know this, but the, the Gospel of John, most progressive Christians toss it out immediately really? because, of the, because of the Christological titles of Jesus, because John does such a beautiful, powerful job. He, that's why he's not known as the Synoptic Gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke. John is a standalone in the, in, in the I Am professions of the self-existence of, of God in the flesh, and they, they know that, and so they have to throw it out and say, no, that we think this was hijacked, it was thrown in there, and, and then the bishops, you know, they— ecumenically, they voted it in to deify Jesus, and that's how they discredit John, when in fact that's not even true. Mm-mm. So this is something that they do, and again, I want people to understand, progressive Christians get this type of argumentation primarily from atheists and skeptics. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love about your book is you compare the beliefs of the of the progressive so-called Christians and the biblical Christians. You You put them in charts. You say, this is what they believe about it. This is what we believe about it. And you can compare and contrast, and you do the explanation so well as well. Uh, but I ran into this idea that science has discredited the Bible and that we have to modernize and we have to see things in the eyes of science when 
I studied that question, and I, I specifically, when I went to Stanford in the graduate program in philosophy, I wanted to know if, in fact, uh, you know, the Bible, the Christian beliefs had been discredited by science. And my answer, after a long time of study and reading so many books and studying and asking professors, it was that it was not. Science has not discredited or invalidated the Bible. My faith was strengthened even more because there are certain questions that science cannot answer. And, and what should, they can answer maybe what is, but not what, it, what should be. There's no way to test what should be. And, and Jesus and God are, you know, they're the ones that told us what should be. And the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us too. And it, there it is in the objective written pages of the Bible, the history of the life of Jesus. Anyway, that's my, <laughs> that's my testimony. And, and, uh, this, this idea that science you know, we, is not compatible with with the Bible and with Christianity is not true. And by the way, uh, Eric Metaxas has now written a book, Is Atheism Dead? Because of all the affirmations that science in recent times has affirmed what's true about the Bible. But as Jason so, is saying, these these progressive Christian scholars are using atheist sources and yeah. atheist scholars. That's, I wanna, that should be a scandal. I mean, I, I want to yeah. touch. I want to touch yeah. on another topic, though. I think there's other things going on in our time too. Jason, you mentioned that you've seen, and as have we, biblical Christians kind of drift over, influenced by the culture. And isn't part of this getting to the uh, whole sexual idea, sexual ethics? Because Sexual yeah. ethics of the Bible, I'd say, are particularly not, they've never been popular among a lot of people, but especially among a lot of people now. And then you look at the LGBTQ plus agenda and, and other things too, like critical race theory. Um, this causes people, doesn't it, to kind of, they want to still cling on, it seems like, to that title of Christian. And so they kind of contort Jesus to be some kind of woke figure. Is it? You want to say anything about that? Well, absolutely. And, and this is why, in some aspects, you, you have to present to people out there who are some of these voices that are making Jesus into this woke teacher or saying that Jesus would be marching in the streets with BLM, you know, and setting things on fire and causing not just a ruckus, but rioting, you know, um, that he'd be standing for global warming and racial injustices, that kind of stuff. Everybody wants Jesus to be on their side. That's why we call it the bobblehead Jesus. <laughs> and so people like yeah. Jim Hatmaker and John Pavelitz and Chris Say and David Gushi and Jonathan Merritt and Guthrie Graves Fitzsimmons and Rob Bell. I mean, these people are advancing an LGBTQ movement, and they're taking the morality of Jesus and they're sexualizing it. Oh, wow. They're making it inclusive, right? And, the, you know, they want to stay clear of this stained glass Jesus that traditional Christians, these rigid, dogmatic Christians who don't love people and are all just about their doctrines and membership in their churches. You know what? Listen, that may be true for some denominations, and I'm sorry if people have experienced that. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I've heard some very, very sad stories, and I've been hurt and wounded by the church myself. But I don't blame Jesus, and I don't mock Christianity as a result of it. I don't go off and refashion Jesus to my own likings, right? And what it is, part of it is under the LGBTQ thing, is, is my authority, my autonomy. And so if you strip Jesus of his divinity, 
you strip him of his divine authority. If you strip him of his divine authority, then who becomes the one in charge? You do. That's what the mentality of human beings is. And again, this goes back to the garden. Right. God did not God say, and it was about if you partake of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. Right. And so this is the idea when you when and I've engaged a lot of people in the LGBT community and a lot of them will profess to be Christians. Oh, a lot wow. of them will profess to talk about how they were raised Episcopalian or they were raised Catholic or they were raised in a Christian Baptist church or whatever. And Jesus loves me and Jesus made me this way. And Jesus said, thus, thus saith the Lord and, and you shall not judge and love your neighbor and turn the other cheek. And they quote the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. But what they've done is they dethroned Jesus. Jesus is not God. Jesus is a liberator to them. Jesus is like a mascot to them. And that is not what the Bible teaches about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so, yes, at the heart of what I try to do in the book is not just expose these false portrayals of Jesus and not just this false image of the woke Jesus that they're trying to present in churches and present to the next generation of Gen Zers. I want to present who Jesus Christ is historically, theologically, biblically, and spiritually, because at the end of the day, all that they're mimicking is a superhero-like character. <laughs> right. And for us, for us, what we're presenting is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who will come back one day and judge the world of their sin. Absolutely. And that's the other thing they get. You, you list all the things in your table of contents, the six attacks on Jesus, uh, the, the resurrection itself— is one of the main ones, but they, they got the judgment. Like there's not going to be any judgment. Uh, you know, he's, he, he, he isn't the judge of the world, but they're missing out on the beauty and the absolute goodness of Jesus too. That's what's so sad. And, and Jesus acts as to how he, he demands that we have discipline in our lives, especially with sexual ethics. So, you know, he demands that we are followers of him and that we submit to his discipline. When you yeah, say, I'm that. say something. That what, what the progressive Christians, what people need to understand why they reject the second coming, they actually mock it because they say we traditional Christians who take the Bible literally, so they make fun of us, right? Right. Mm. They, they say, you guys are so disappointed in the first uh, coming of Jesus that you had to make up a second coming because the first coming was so pathetic. Oh, right? gosh, that, that, that is so you know, untrue. untrue. That, that's what a lot—now, I'm not saying every progressive Christian teaches it, but, man, I—and I quote. I mean, I for, verbatim in every chapter against these attacks, I quote them in those four categories. This is what they say historically. This is what they say theologically, biblically, and spiritually. You can see it for yourself that this is coming from most of the talking heads of progressive Christianity. And yes. so they mock the first advent. It was, a, it was a failed attempt, and that's why the early founders— of Christianity concocted a story to deify Jesus, uh, and over time, by the Count of Nicaea, then the bishops who hijacked, you know, with Constantine, um, the church, and said, okay, we're now claiming Jesus to be God, and now everyone will worship him as God, so we can compete against paganism. That is the narrative that progressive Christians are espousing. And again, that comes from German scholarships that denied the Bible to be true and that it has miracles and that Jesus is God. And, there, and we so did not make up the story yeah. that Je- Jesus was God. He said himself. There's so many times in the New Testament where he testified, he said straight out, and he demonstrated with his miracles that he was God. You cannot avoid that if you actually read the New Testament. But it reminds me of the scripture, Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we encourage everyone to get the book, Hijacking Jesus, be able to tell the difference between the more modernized 
so-called hijacked Christianity and the actual biblical Jesus with the beauty and the the amazing uh, Jesus that we have come to know. So we have uh, we have just a couple minutes left, Jason, and I want tell us a little bit about. You've mentioned you you talk to LGBTQ and other uh, progressive Christians, which I think is wonderful. Have you had any, uh, for lack of a, this is not the best word, but any success stories you can share or any stories of how you've been able to open some hearts to the real biblical uh, Jesus? I know you talk about this in your book. Oh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to express that because, again, as I say in, in my opening, even towards the end, you know, I don't want people to be confused with a counterfeit Jesus. I want them to encounter the true and living uh, Jesus, right, the Son of God. Yes. And so when I when I do travel and I have these conversations, and I work with a lot of young people, I work with Summit Ministries, I'm a faculty member there too, and so we teach 16 to 25-year-olds who come from all over the country and the world. And it's a, it's a great melting pot experience during the summer when you're teaching them Christian apologetics. A lot of them come, and some of them are trans. Some of them are in sexual relationships with people outside of marriage. Some of them are in same-sex relationships. Some of them are asexual, right? All this kind of terminology here today. Some of them come and tell us that they believe that their sexual identity is fluid, right? And of course, they don't really understand what that is at 16, 17-year-olds, but you sit there and you talk with them. And when I, when I travel into different places and I have an opportunity to engage somebody who not only is an advocate for LGBT, so they may not be a lesbian or they may not be trans, but they support that community. They believe that Jesus loves them the way they are through their sexuality, which we know is contrary to the Bible. For the most part, when you have these conversations with them, again, and you have to approach it in a way where they're, they're, a lot of them are wounded and they're clearly confused. And what you have to do is when you, when you approach them, not looking at them in a way where on the outside, like when typically you walk into a um, Starbucks and usually you see a barista and very trans. Jason, this is time. wonderful, but during, uh, under the tyranny of radio times, we're out of time. I, I, I hate, <laughs> I cut you off in the middle of one of the most beautiful sentences, but so folks, you got to get this book, Hijacking Jesus. And Jason, thank you so much for taking your time with us today. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. To bless your neighbor, express the truth and love to any progressive Christians in your life and educate biblical Christians on the eternal splendor and beauty of the real Jesus. Till next week. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the Biblical Citizen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.